we are in first Timothy chapter two. Bible says in verse one, I exhort, therefore, the first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men. And we taught on that verse uh, when we first opened up this chapter and we went through those four different aspects of prayer. And verse one doesn't end with a period. It ends with a semicolon and it leads into verse number two, four kings. And for all that are in authority. This is telling us very clearly that we should pray. For, those types of prayers should be offered up for those people that are in authority. This is a church, a New Testament church, which we are a part of. If you're saved, you're part of that church. And we are told to pray for those that aren't part of our church. <laughs> How about that? How about that? Sometimes we get so closed-minded, we forget about there's a big world out there that needs some prayer. So it says, specifically, for those who are in authority. Why do you think that is so? Well, because they have influence over the societies that people live in. And it's not just America. It, it's a big, big, big world. And we are called specifically not to pray for peace on earth. We talked about this a little bit on Sunday. We are not going to have peace on earth. Not until Christ comes back. Not save the world or save the planet or save the trees. That is not what our prayers should be. Rather, it's for Christians to do this. Watch what it says. It gives us, it gives us very clearly for kings and for all that are in authority that we, who's the we? Us as Christians. That we as Christians, we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty for this is good and acceptable in the sight of god our savior this word this the prayer we're praying for those in authority but it's ultimately a prayer that they would leave us alone so that we can live our life the way it describes we as christians should live our life now go back to John 17, because this is a very important cross-reference that I'd like you to get a hold of. John 17, look at verse number 9. We are praying for those that are in authority. But we have to understand, Jesus said in 17, uh, John chapter 17, verse number 9, I pray for them, who's for them in this context, it's Jesus' disciples. So he's saying in verse number nine, I pray for them, the disciples. I pray not for the world. You can't get a clear distinction in what Jesus is saying. But for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. So if we're not praying for the kings and the authorities and all of those that would rule over societies, if we're not praying for them to give us world peace, 
And if we're not praying for them to help us save the planet and all that stuff, what are we praying for them for besides the fact that they would leave us alone so we can leave, lead, lead our life peaceably and quietly? What else should the prayer be? Jesus gives us the answer, and we find it in, in uh, well, let's go down to verse number 20, uh, verse number 19. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. What's our prayer? That they shall believe on Jesus. That's the best prayer you can have for any politician going into any election at any level. Please, Lord, open up the king's eyes. <laughs> Please, Lord, open up the president's heart to receive you as their savior. That's our prayer for them in addition to that they would leave us alone so that we as the body of Christ can do what we're called to do. The Bible says in Proverbs 21, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of waters. He turneth it whithersoever he will. Every president, I pray, every time a new president comes about, since I've been alive, Lord, will you turn their heart toward you? I know it's kind of hard, and I know I know there's some low-hanging fruit. They just take some pot shots at some of these presidents that we've had. I get it. Like I've said it. I, I've taken the, I've grabbed the fruit, you know. But at the same time, we need to pray for them. No right-thinking Christian wants war, wants violence, wants all of that. No right-thinking Christian wants it. Notice what else it says, and I'd like us all to get some help from this. In verse number two, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we, Christians, may lead a quiet and peaceable life. That's the real issue that's at hand. We should be a quiet people. We should be a peaceable people. All of the contention that we see in the Bible, all of the contending that we see in the Bible is always save people contending for the faith, typically against lost people. We should have, as Christians, as the body of Christ, a quiet life. There's four quiets that show up in the Bible, in the New Testament. There's four quiets in the New Testament. First Timothy 2, verse 2, we're looking at this one, to be quiet and live a godly life. We don't want to be opposed. We don't want to be persecuted by government. We pray for them to leave us alone because that would save us from persecution. Please don't harass us because we're Christians is our prayer. <laughs> Please don't. You pray that prayer. Have you, have you read the story of Richard Wombrook, the voice of martyrs? In front of government. He had the opportunity as a, a clergyman to go up. He gives the gospel. And he was persecuted for 14 years. He lived. 
It's one man who lived, who has a story to tell, and hundreds or maybe thousands didn't live to tell and can't tell their story. But he lived, persevered, bent over a pole, hands and feet tied, and they would come, they would hang them like this with his feet out like this. His feet were here, they'd come, whip him and beat him. You've not read the story, I recommend you read it. It's not the Bible, but it's the tale of a man who believed the Bible. You know who did that? Government. We want to pray the government would leave us alone so we can live our lives without persecution. Acts chapter 19, let's turn there. That's the second quiet we find, Acts chapter number 19. Acts 19, verse number 36. Acts 19, verse number 36. That's where we want to be. All right, so this is the, the big, big, big uh, uh, drama happening here in Ephesus. They're worshiping the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter. And then it says, seeing then, in verse number 36 of Acts 19, Seeing then these things cannot be spoken against, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Now, we're not going to go deep into this because we just don't have time to. But in the context of Acts 18, of Acts 19, verse 36, when it says you ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly, that thought is tied together. There's times when we as Christians, we as people, we just need to sit down and compose ourselves. Because we can get so worked up into something, our mind just starts traveling yonder. Assumption here, idea here, thought there. By the end of the day, we piece them all together and we have something that played out that never played out. And there's a time to just, hey, we need to consider what we're doing. So let's just sit down, quiet ourselves, and figure it out. If you're a parent or a grandparent or if you're a teacher uh, or even a business person, you've had to kind of call a timeout for everybody. Okay, everybody just sit down and be quiet for a second. That's what's happening here, and that's a biblical principle. It's an, ex it's an exhortation, basically, to maintain order. Sometimes you have to do that in a home. Kids are running amok, and it's okay. We just got to get some order here. Everybody, let's just sit down and gather our thoughts. So there's a, that's your second quiet in the Bible. First Thessalonians chapter 4, I wish, I wish, uh, I wish to be convicted of this verse specifically. I pray that you would desire that as well. First Thessalonians 4, and the Bible says for the third quiet in the New Testament, First Thessalonians 4, verse number 11, the Bible says, and that you study to be quiet and to do your own work or your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. You may walk honestly toward them without, you may have lack of nothing. Idleness is a stronghold. And idleness 
the, the, the stronghold of idleness will lead us into other strongholds. This is why it's important that we as Christians keep ourselves busy. It's why we need to keep our kids busy. Some of us has kids and you feel like, man, it doesn't matter how many things you schedule, they're still not busy. It's like, everybody's, but we need to keep ourselves away from idleness. Uh, idleness is laziness. It can be laziness of the mind, even. It can be, I'm minding your business, I'm not minding my own business. You're minding this brother's business, and you've got to mind your own business. Sister on this side of the church is worried about minding what's going on with this sister on this side of the church. And if there's a problem, if there's a concern that needs to be voiced, that's one thing. But not at the expense of we need to understand, we all need to mind our own bit. We need to be quiet to study, mind our own business, do our own work. There's, there's something to that. The, if we don't have that, you remember we said, uh, we talked about this on, on Sunday school. There's some things that aren't written in doctrinal statements. They just play out in practice. And this is one of those things you won't see written in a doctrinal statement. I've never seen somebody have on their church website uh, this verse that says, yeah, we believe in being studying to be quiet, minding our own business. Oh, yeah, you know what? Let's go to that one. I've never seen that, and you've probably never seen that in a doctrinal statement. But you know what? That can quickly play out in a church, and it can become an annoyance. Everybody's worried about the other person. We need to check ourselves first. Check ourselves first. That's the idea uh, in, in that. So we get quietness, we get peace, we just study mind our own business. Uh, and then First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three will be the last one. First Peter three is the last quiet, the fourth quiet mentioned in the New Testament. Taking the test, this will be on the test. There's four quiets. So. Chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse, verse, uh, okay, let's read. Why don't we just read from verse number 1? Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husband. You don't want to just be, yes, sir, to your boss work and not have that same respect and reverence for your husband at home. Okay, so you want to make sure your, your, your husband is your man, and that's the way it ought to be. That if any obey not the words, and now you have a wife whose husband won't obey the word of God, so what do you do? That they also may without the word, that means you don't preach the word to them, that they may also without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair or wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible. Here it is, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. But there may be some men who like. Uh, ornamenting their wives uh, and they there may be a few men that like having them with the most expensive jewelry the most expensive clothes the most expensive 
hair, you know, do and all that. But the fellows that I know, we couldn't tell a designer bag from a non-designer. We don't care. Real men don't care about the outward adorning. And this is why God brings this out. Ladies, for you to understand what he can point out is the attitude and the spirit that isn't meek and quiet. First Peter 3, 4 is talking about a mind that's content, a heart, a heart, ladies, and even men. Our hearts should be free from irritability. And if there's some irritability in it, we need to figure out a way to get it out. A spirit that is gentle. Because the fancy clothes and the fancy jewelry and the fancy cars and the fancy house and the fancy designer bags, none of that's going to fix the problem. But what's going to win a husband is not the external ornaments. Some decorations that are inside. That's going to win. And they'll take notice to a kind temper. Rather than having to come into the kitchen and duck. Because here comes the frying pan. They'll take notice to a heart. That is free from impatience. Fathers let's add us to the equation. Our wives and children will notice that about us too. Let's all of us adorn our hearts. With things that people really want. that's a good spirit what does it say the last quiet we're looking at a quiet spirit a meek and quiet spirit you've been in the bible long enough you know meekness isn't weakness meekness is a strength that's under the control of the spirit that is that is quiet that's what we um go back to verse 3 and then we'll move on. I like to just mention this when we get to this verse because some people would say, well, you really can't, you can't really braid your hair or plait your hair and it's it's not biblical to wear gold or jewelry because the Bible says so in First Peter chapter 3. I mean, look at the verse. Watch what it says. Who's adorning? Let it not be the outward adorning of plating the hair or wearing gold. So preacher, are you saying that ladies can't braid their hair and ladies can't wear jewelry or gold? Well, if I said that, then I would also have to say they can't wear apparel because the last part of the verse says, or of putting on of apparel. And I think we would all agree that ladies and men should go out with apparel, right? What's the context of the verse? If you're going to put on apparel, which you should, and if you're going to braid your hair, which you have the liberty to do if you want ladies, and if you're going to wear gold or jewelry, which you have the liberty to do, let it not be that the focus of your life and of why you're trying to get what you want to get. That's the context of the verse. A meek and quiet spirit is going to go a whole lot farther than the most expensive apparel that gold can buy. And so we're probably not going to have the most expensive apparel, and that's okay. We should have spirit that is priceless. And then next one we see is peaceable. 
Remember, the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. We are called to make peace. We are not always called to have it. Why can't I just have some peace? Maybe we should be praying, Lord, help me to try to make some peace out of this mess. Sometimes it's just not the way it's going to be. We should pray for those that are in authority so that we can live a peaceable, a peaceable life. The Bible says the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. We should live in peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Go to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14. Romans 14, verse number 19. Bible says, Let us therefore, Romans 14, verse 19, follow after the things which make for peace. Talk about Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers. Same thing you hear, make for peace. How do I make peace? You follow after the things which make for peace and the things therewith. One may edify another. So we can. Uh, I'm going to need some help on this because this is one of my pet peeves. Someone needs some help. Maybe you can help. We didn't have. Growing up, the options that kids have today growing up. When I became an adult, I didn't have the options available that adults today have available. If preachers get frustrated enough, they have the option. They can just walk out the front door and be done. And it happens. They're going to go get a pastor at somewhere else. Because they're just sick and tired of 1 Corinthians <laughs> or, or, or whatever it is. Honestly, that happens. So I don't hear about it. Well, just because you don't hear about it, that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. <laughs> we were talking about all the mess with, you know, you can't even let your kids go out and ride the bike in the neighborhood anymore because it's not safe. We're talking about, you know, times have never been this bad and talking about how have times never been this bad or is it just we're so dumped with social media and news all the time that it just seems like there's more of it? What if there's what if it's always been that way? It's just that we have not been 24 seven tuned into the news. Or some of us have jobs where we have to be in tune to all that. And that's. That's tough to deal with. Church people have more options today than they've ever had. There is more pressures on preachers nowadays than there ever has because people know they can walk. They can go right down the street. It's not like you don't drive into a town, especially down south, and there are two dozen choices, if not more. So what are they going to fight about? Romans 14. Well, let's fight about meat. 
let's fight about what food we eat. Somebody gets upset, now they're just, and, and, and they walk. You got meat offered to idols. Do you eat it or not? I don't know. If someone's going to get upset about it, give me the tofu salad. Why? I just want people to stay united. I just want to find something to find some edification. Peaceable. The things that we disagree on are of temporal, insignificant difference. Think about this for a second. It is larger groups if you've ever been a part of them, function a lot differently than smaller groups. We have this dynamic in our business, and we are all, this is always in front of us. Because every time something comes in front of us where we want to go to another area, a new area, okay, small group, it's not going to be like our ones that are successful where there's a big group. Big groups function by default differently than small groups. Small groups by, by definition or by nature, I don't know what you would call it. There's more irritability by default. There seems to be more peer pressure by default. Okay, what do you mean? I can't explain it. It's just, I've been around groups of people long enough where every time the group gets bigger, the dynamic changes. So it's easier to not edify each other in a smaller group. Why? We get on each other's nerves. We do. We do. You get siblings together, small group, you eventually got to get them apart. Why? They're going to bicker and fight. Husbands and wives. It's why it's good for the wife to go shopping. That's why it's good for the husband to go to work. Why? There's a little bit of a break. And in bigger, in, in bigger groups, breaks are, they're just, they come more naturally and easier. So what do we need to do? I think we need to appreciate the value of what unites us. I am going to agree to love this brother despite our insignificant minor difference. I'm going to commit to that in my heart. That when I see that brother, it's not going to he's not going to irritate me. That's tough, isn't it? edify each other when we see that we have more things in common that we agree on that have eternal significance. Eternal significance. Verse 18 says, For he that is in these things serveth Christ, is acceptable to God, 
and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace. And the things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine or anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. You bring down the context of this very simply. Let's look for ways to make people. To look for ways to edify one another. Rather than pick apart the things that we, when you really think of don't matter. Godliness. Go to First Timothy chapter 2. Our Christian lives should be filled with, we looked at it, a quiet life, a peaceable life. The other thing that we learn about is a godly life. That's not a bad word. That's a good word. That's a godly word. That's a life that's lived in reverence for God, and it's a life that's lived with respect for his character. That's what it means to have a godly life, you're, that you're, you're a life full of godliness. It appears 15 times in the New Testament. And 11 times in the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus. He wants the church and preachers and, and those that are ministering to really get a hold of this godliness thing. First Timothy chapter 2, watch what it says in verse number 10. But which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Very simply. How do we live a godly life? Well, we profess it through the doing of good works, not for salvation. It's a profession. It's a profession of godliness. Um, we're showing the world through our good works that we're wanting to live for God. First Timothy three. Look at verse number 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels. Preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. You had a revelation of godliness when Jesus Christ showed up on the scene as God manifest in the flesh. That's a revelation of godliness. First Timothy 4, look at verse 7. The Bible says, but refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. What does that tell us? Profane and old wives' fables will rob you of a life of godliness. It'll take something away from you that you need as a Christian. Quiet life, peaceful life, a godly life. Look at verse, uh, look at verse number eight. For bodily exercise profitable little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. You can't go wrong. It will profit you and everything. Chapter 6, verse 3. Chapter 6, verse 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to doctrine, which is according to godliness. Why are we so... Let's 
flip pages in the Bible. Let's study the Bible. Let's go through this book because we want to know doctrine because it will lead to godliness. It's all tied in. Uh, verse number five, it says at the end, supposing the gain is godliness from such withdrawal, but godliness with contentment is great gain. That verse basically means if you gain a lot of possessions or a lot of things, that isn't a sign of godliness. But what is a sign of godliness is, is what you have, you're content with. That is a gain of godliness. Not gaining the things. It's a mark of spirituality. It's being content with the things that we have verse number 11 that same uh, thing uh, in that same chapter rather uh, it says but thou O man of God flee these things and follow after righteousness godliness you want to be a real man of God a real woman of God the Bible says flee after godliness go after that it's something we should flee after and then last one second Timothy 3 Watch what it says here, and then we'll start to uh, just close out. But in 2 Timothy 3, verse number 5, it says, Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Something may seem godly, but it's not. But it's not. Last thing, and then we'll be done, is we have a quiet life as Christians we're called to live, a peaceable life a godly life, and then lastly, in, in 1 Timothy 2, 2, it tells us to live an honest life. We get these four things down. We're on something. May the Lord help us. But honesty is, Titus 1 says, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. Honesty, it's the outworking of godliness. You can't go wrong with it. Conversation should be honest. I'll tell you this verse on it, Second Corinthians thirteen. Second Corinthians thirteen. Second Corinthians thirteen, verse number seven. Second Corinthians thirteen, verse seven. Start at verse five. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Now I pray to God that ye do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. The loaded verse. What Paul is telling them and what I would tell you is you live an honest life even if I don't live an honest life. Now Paul's not saying, hey, go, he can just go live a dishonest life. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is it's important for you to go and live an honest life. Don't worry about me. You go out. 
Paul is trying to give his heart that his personal ambition isn't for him to be honest, although he is honest and he wants to be honest. His personal ambition, because he has a heart for people so bad, is, is this. I so want you to be honest. <laughs> He's concerned about them. Now that'll preach. Because Paul's not concerned about his reputation as much as he's concerned about preaching the truth so that the people that he's preaching to, their character and reputation would be honest. That's fiery hot right there. That's a love for people. Paul says, I'd rather be looked upon as a reprobate than to know you guys are being dishonest. Who praised that? Paul. You know what he said in Romans 9, right? We looked at that on Sunday. If he had one wish, he could wish to be a curse for his brethren. Somebody that loves people. Second Corinthians 8. Second Corinthians 8, 21. The Bible says, Second Corinthians 8, 21. Providing for honest things. Not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of man. Good works, all that we talked about. Before men, people should see us as honest people. Yes, God's going to see. But also, how about men? How about people down? We looked at this verse on Sunday. Last verse I'll read to you. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among ye seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and the wisdom that we may appoint over this business. Anyone that has, that is appointed to any business here has to be 100% honest. The world's watching. Church people, honest. Close this. It's not a guarantee that the government will leave us Christians alone. But I can tell you this. We should all be praying to that end. You stay in your lane, please let us stay in our lane so we can live a life that's quiet, peaceable, godly, and honest.